Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host, Chat Perks, and in today's podcast, I'm going to be interviewing David Fielding, who has the most incredible wildlife pond that I've ever seen. But first, the news. So this isn't particularly recent, but it caught my eye that in January 2020, we lost an incredible species that went extinct, and that is the Chinese paddlefish. Now, many of you will be scratching your heads thinking, what's a paddlefish? It's kind of like a sturgeon, but someone's grabbed its nose and pulled it out. So it's kind of like a swordfish and a sturgeon had an orgy and the, the paddlefish kind of waddled out after. They're close relatives, of, I say, of sturgeon, and they've been around for around 200 million years. The species can reach up to seven metres and they were found in the Yangtze River uh, in China. They have, or I say have, they had a long sword-like rostrum, a snout-like structure packed with cells to detect electrical activity in prey animals, such as crustaceans. So these big animals are hoovering up these small things. They're not predators in the traditional sense. They ranged over long distances throughout the expansive reaches of the Yangtze River Basin, and even making their way into the East China Sea. So to lose this incredible megafish really is a wake-up call for us, as most large freshwater fish are endangered. So it would be an incredible shame if this were to happen again, although unfortunately it looks like it may very well do. The species gradually declined over the last century, largely due to overfishing, and in the 1970s, 22.7 tonnes of paddlefish were harvested per year on average. So masses and masses of these fish were taken out of the Yangtze. But what really did it in, uh, scientists concluded, were the dams. Specifically, now I'm going to try and say this, but I'm probably going to do it horrifically. Geshuba, Gezaba, Gezaba, Gezaba Dam, we'll go with that, built on the main stem of the Yangtze, a little over a thousand miles from the sea. So these fish have already travelled huge, huge distances to get there, then they can't get to their spawning grounds. There wasn't a fish ladder or a bypass put on that dam, so that was it, the paddlefish were done. So it's really a matter of time. Uh, before they they died out. There is an American species as well, which is found in the Mississippi, and that's the only other closely related species to them. And And we've lost them. It's an incredible, incredible shame. Moving on to slightly more positive news, we're going to get on with the interview. But before I start that, don't forget to check out the highlights of each podcast on YouTube. So you can find them on the Wildlife Exposed TV channel. If you just type in Wildlife Exposed TV into YouTube and you'll see the kind of best bits of each podcast. And you'll also see me and the interviewee as we're talking to each other. And there's, there's loads already on there. So check that out. Wildlife Exposed TV. Anyway, this is David Fielding and this is our interview about his amazing urban ponds. David, well, thanks for joining me. I, I know you from Twitter as Urban Ponds 101, so I didn't really think you had a face, but you were just a giant newt that, that tweeted <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, how, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing very good, and I'm really pleased to uh, be invited and to talk to you today. The, uh, I mentioned to my youngest that you'd invited me on, and uh, she said, oh my God, he's the, uh, he's the guy who did the uh, fish having sex. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, brilliant, because I said, which one? She said, well, they were grayling, and I've showed all of my friends, because it's just such brilliant. And he said, he's the one with a really big beard. And I said, no, I think he's supporting a much more trim, tidy one now. I, so, uh, when I did Spring Watch last year with that, um, with that shot, I did have quite a meaty beard, and I got so many people saying I look like Joe Wilkinson, you know, the comedian uh, yeah, from yeah, yeah. 8 Out of 10 Cats' Countdown. I thought, 
and I couldn't see it myself. And then I started looking, thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I do a little bit. So, uh, not nothing against Joe Wilkinson, but yeah, I did trim, <laughs> trim, my, trim my beard back a bit because it was getting kind of mountain men territory. Yeah, so basically you're famous in our house. <laughs> well, I suppose, you know, famous for fish sex. It's not quite what I envisioned, but I'll, t- but I'll take it. I'll take that. Um, so I've, I've been watching your pong clips for a while now, and it's one of the highlights of my online experience, I'm honest. I love it when, I, when I've gone to Twitter, and then there is just this magical world that, you've, uh, that you're showcasing, whether it's newts, whether it's marsh frogs or whatever. Um, and particularly in recent times, it's nice to lift people up a little bit with stuff like that. So what made you want to showcase your pond? I know you've been doing it for a while, but particularly recently, I guess you've got more time on your hands, but you're showing a lot and, and people seem to really respond to it. Yeah, it's um, it all just by accident, really, and, and, and just how things develop. Um, I suppose in my day job, I, I recruit chairs and chief execs. I run an uh, executive search firm. And um, quite a few years back, I was recruiting the chief exec for the RSPB and they were running uh, the campaign um, uh, Give Nature a Home. And it was all kind of moving beyond birds and this bit about, you know, wildlife and, and, and what have you. At the same time I was doing that, we found a frog in the garden, heavily gravid, in a small shallow tray of water. And so the combination of, oh, and the kids had stopped using the trampoline, so there was this whole kind of corner of a space. So I guess I started uh, with the kids digging out a pond and thinking, you know, this is quite entertaining. Um, but it was, it was happenstance that we ended up in, um, down in Canterbury. We were camping and there was a massive uh, frog pond there, frog and newt pond. And the, the proprietor, we were walking around once and we stumbled on these marsh frogs. And as you know, the sound is just incredible. And we were there at night time and we measured and it was 110 decibels. It's like being in the jungle, isn't it? Well, absolutely. Just incredible. And uh, I'm I'm told that's near a helicopter landing or a a chainsaw kind of thing. Incredible sound. And I think before I knew the rules about moving stuff around, you know, basil and various other kind of problems, the proprietor said, well, why don't you just, you know, take a few for your pond? And so uh, I spent the kind of weekend and I, I enlisted all the children on the campsite. So, and I'd kind of give them rewards if they found little, beautiful little Fs and some uh, some marsh frog uh, and whatever. So anyway, we, um, and that's what happened. So, so I was just looking on YouTube one day and there was this, uh, I was mesmerized by somebody who had posted a picture of a, of a group of smooth mutes in a jar to music. And I thought, what a weird, what a weird, wonderful thing. I was, I was you know, genuinely perplexed by it or mesmerized by it. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do a little video and, and see what happens and just, just post it. And, and things, things went on from there. Um, I suppose it was one weekend. It was black... Black Friday weekend, I posted one video that I think one of my first ones on Facebook, and um, it kind of just went viral. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what viral is these days, but it was no. about half a million, half a million kind of views and shares, or, or whatever I, it was. I think that's pretty good going, David. To be fair, <laughs> well, it, well, it was, it was bonkers because I spent all weekend just reading all these comments from people around the world, and there's this. 
for me, there's something interesting about, I think newts and frogs and toads and ponds uh, are almost uh, a reminiscent of our childhood when maybe, a, you know, calls back to a simpler time, uh, a more innocent time of exploration and what have you. And it, uh, we started connecting. So I thought, well, I'll, do you know what? I'll, I won't do the professional Twitter account for my work. I'll, I'll create something Urban Ponds 101. And then I, um, and then I started following, you know, people like yourself and all, all the other kind of uh, experts in this field and, and things led one thing to another. Um, yeah, because you've done, um, didn't you, am, am I remembering this right? This might have been an acid trip on my part, but didn't you put dance music or rave music to some of your <laughs> clips? <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. if, uh, uh, I, I'm a particularly, uh, well, look, people post lots of music on social media and they'll often do it either with uh, the sleeve of a record or, or a, you know, just the, the artwork. And I thought, you know what, let's see if I can put it to... Uh, but it's just a bit of nature and I get really positive responses. I mean, some people hate the music. Um, so I do try and, uh, they, they can always I mean, mute it if they don't like it. Well, exactly. I've had people write to me saying, Oh, I, I wish you'd do this genre or, you know, and, and, I, uh, and it's funny, I've started doing requests. So I've got a few kind of followers who say, Oh, what about this track? Um, and I say, Oh, I'll try some reggae. Noobs um, now, Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we, we've gone through the whole kind of drum and bass and uh, hardcore rave all the way through to soft classical, and you know, it's, uh, look, if it gives people a moment of joy, then it it kind of makes me happy, really. Yeah, definitely. That sounds a bit naff. That, that sounded no, a bit naff, didn't it? <laughs> no, but I I know what you mean. It's you know, if if it makes someone smile at, at this difficult time, then you know, why the hell not? Yeah, and also because. It was another reason, because my camera skills are pretty rubbish, you know. I, I should add that I'm just a, a well-meaning, uh, enthusiastic amateur. And I've got some old kit, and quite often when I'd move or pan or zoom, you'd hear the noise of the, of the, um, of the camera. So I thought, you know what, I better put something over the top of that. <laughs> um, and, it, and it's like from there. And funnily enough, um, I'll have people send me messages saying, are you okay? Cause you've not posted anything for two days or <laughs> people say, Oh, I was waiting for my new fill this evening. Uh, it's an addiction for some then. Well, yeah, probably. And you know, it's just a bit of comfort and fun really. Um, but I do think there's something also about, because I do live in an urban environment. So what do I mean by that? I mean, I live in South London in Lewisham and we're surrounded by heavy roads so my garden is within an enclave of about 40, 40 gardens uh, and so it, I guess it was one of, one of the things I'm quite keen about is just showing how easy it is to have a pond and you don't need to spend a lot of money or do things particularly uh, you know special dig a hole and fill water is one of the great starts because you've not had it that long either is it a rel relatively new pond is it or how, how long have you had it yeah, well, this will uh, make me a bit pond obsessive now. Um, well, I've ended up with four ponds in the garden, but I've, I've kind of ex I've experimented with different types. So we built a small one uh, uh, originally. I've had that eight years now. And then everybody, I started filling it with plants and it just became so overgrown within a season. And I hate throwing anything away. Uh, and there was another space next to it. I thought, well, I'll, I'll build another one. 
as you do, bigger. <laughs> um, and then um, I'd had a tank, an old water tank, and I was quite inspired by um, uh, Jules, who uh, does, who was doing a kind of Belfast sink observation. He, he set one up. And I'd had this tank in the corner for ages, which became, I think I call my pond tank now, which is quite fun. Uh, and then I set up a, uh, uh, a bootstrap pond, which is basically the, uh, where it all started, which is a base of a swing ball. You know, the old swing ball game? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I've got a plastic base and I put it in a um, uh, recycling bin. And I go out there and film and, and observe. And I guess the thing is, doing all different types is just, just shows that a, a, you know, it is a hack bit of an old expression now but if you build it they really will come yeah yeah it's it's amazing what kind of comes around this so so are you a surprised you might have already answered this because you said you've put some bits in yourself but are you surprised by mm. the amount of wildlife that comes to your your south london pond yeah oh, totally um and i think when when friends visit or you kind of look at stuff you think wow how did that find its way there um so I haven't managed to film the heron or the uh, <laughs> or the magpie predating on the newts, which I've, I've kind of seen them do. But the amount of bird life that we have now is just incredible. Um, and because I'm also a keen gardener, just the kind of health benefits. So for so a whole row of tomatoes right next door to the pond has been so beneficial in terms of cross pollination and species and. And we ended up having a wasp nest underneath one of the hibernaculums. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, um, well, it's just a joy, really. I suppose the, the frogs and the newts act as kind of pest control as well. They're kind of the gardener's best friend, aren't they? Oh, totally. Um, I did uh, a video the other day with the toads, because uh, there's a real big population of toads, which I didn't have just kind of appeared, which is amazing. And... Uh, a, a nighttime walk with a torch and ended up finding kind of 21 in a row outside and managed to film a toad ball uh, this year, which was just, you know, just incredible to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something I've seen. I've seen pictures of it, but I've not seen one in the flesh. It's weird. Is it lots of males around and female? Basically. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit grim from one perspective, but it's, it's quite a nature of a spectacle of nature. <laughs> So you've you've got this this cast of characters. Is is are there any that kind of that are your favourite? You're like actually, I I'm sure they're all fantastic. Where is the one that you're like that is amazing? Um, I was you know what I was I've been thinking about that. Um, I'm not sure of the answer really because I guess what I love about observing uh, the pond, and I guess I got into this habit of doing pond watch, which is I just post every day, so that we could show what happens throughout the life cycle and through the seasons. So I think there's something absolutely magical about when frogs first appear and, you know, they kind of, and they're, they're making the noises. Um, the toads, I mean, I just adore, particularly when I shine a torch on them and they kind of pause midway uh, and just kind of look at you, which is always interesting. Um, but I think the newts have been probably the, the kind of stars um, for a few reasons, I guess because we don't always see them and because they're nocturnal. So I thought how, so I've experimented these last few years on how can we actually show them better. Now, I don't have your underwater camera skills, of course, but um, 
I ended up kind of creating this little enclave at the bottom of the pool. So I've got a, uh, a clay base, which is nice and light, which was the original London clay that I dug out. So that provides a nice kind of contrast and backdrop. Uh, and then I leave the pond really kind of weedy, but just leave this one area almost like an ice hole, <laughs> uh, if you will. And uh, it provides lots of fun. And I think showing those off, you know, people do say, oh, I remember seeing that one, seen those when I was a kid and I haven't seen them for years. So, uh, uh, but equally I can get as excited about a dragonfly or damsonfly. Um, I've uh, I had a go with, uh, I bought a new camera. Okay. Uh, and I had uh, a bit of advice from Neil Phillips. Yes, uh, yeah, and no, Neil. From, um, for, I think they're, they, have they come on to your... They're, it's not, the... they're, both, uh, they're both coming on the show, but they've not, it's not been released yet. So that's Victoria Hillman and Neil Phillips. That's right. They do their own podcast called uh, yeah, Wildlife yeah. Podcast. Yeah, well, they're, they're fantastic. I love those guys. And they, yeah, they, they, gave me, they gave me some advice on photography. And uh, <laughs> I was ready to post some pictures yesterday of water boatmen and some, uh, and some marsh frogs. And then Neil said, oh, I'll do a live stream of his kind of pond shed, as it were. And forgive me, but every time I look at the stuff that he produces, I think, do you know what? I'm not going to post that. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a long way to go to get a bit more clarity and depth of field. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a wonderful hobby, particularly in... Um, in lockdown times isn't it yeah well it's all a learning curve as well i wouldn't be put off posting things because other people um have maybe got stuff you think is better but it's all a, you know you're going to learn from each other and and particularly neil neil's very welcome and he's quite happy to to help people along the way as well so um mm. yeah i know what you mean it can be daunting to a degree but it is uh, it's definitely good to get that stuff out there for for sure mm. i've had a few uh, few amazing dragonflies uh visit and i I had, and this is what Victoria advised, which is, look, if you can ever look at dragonflies, you need to do them in the morning when they're waking up and the karma. Yeah. I've ended up rushing around the garden in the afternoon when they're, <laughs> <You've> <laughs> when, got, when you've, they're all... You've got no chance, have you? They just zoom. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And one, uh, uh, this full, I, I forget which, I'm not sure of the names, but this amazing green one ended up coming into the kitchen the other day. Uh, and we were all kind of panicked and, you know, uh, my partner says, get your camera quick and pff, disappeared <laughs> in, you know, impossible. So they're very, they're very tricky to get when they're kind of all warmed up, like, like reptiles and, and amphibians as well, to a degree. But mm, if, mm. so the people that are listening, then if they would like to encourage more, more newts and frogs to their pond, what would you suggest? The, um, it's actually funny because um, I get asked this quite a lot now, and I'm sure you do in terms of, you know, people say, oh, what do I need to do to do this? Uh, I think it's some obvious things which people don't always think through. So, I mean, oh, bless you. Excuse I, me. I, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, for example, let me look at it the other way. Somebody posted a picture the other day uh, on one of the groups on which, which was a small pond surrounded by concrete with plastic grass. Uh, fake grass and concrete and he said what am I doing wrong I don't seem to be getting anything and it's like do you really need us to answer that question yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> um, so and I think um, what do I think so habitat 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 really so as well as 
kind of you know doing the ponds and, and filling them with all different kinds of uh, vegetation which is really important i'm a real fan of making the the emerging zone uh, around the edges as deep uh, and as safe as possible you know to avoid predation but it's all the other things you put in your garden so you know kate bradbury has been particularly uh, kind of helpful in her advice and suggestions around kind of rewilding so half of the lawn now we've got long grasses and wildflowers um, I, I set about building a hibernaculum which was um, four pallets deep I mean a really kind of big construction and um, full of stuff and then wood piles and compost heaps and stones and all these kind of things so just always thinking through the life cycle of the creatures that you're trying to encourage how do they get into the pond how do they survive how do they get out um so i think yeah all of those things just trying to make it much as much more natural i had for example i had uh, somebody message me who was a koi uh keeper and uh that's one of my questions i wanted to ask about fish and ponds actually because i saw you mentioned that the other day yeah 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 well but he, 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 uh, he, he sent me this picture of uh, four foot walls full of koi. And he said, how can I get newts in this pond? And I said, what for? For food, <laughs> uh, you know. So what is, your, what is your view about fish and wildlife ponds then? Because I know that there's quite a strong view. Yeah, there is. That, mm. um, so I, I and me and Neil had a friendly debate on on our podcast about this because he's oh, okay. you know so I can only go by my experiences and and what I know about fish. So it largely depends on on the species of fish. So you're not going to want to mm. put a pike or a perch or anything, <laughs> anything predatory. No, no, no. Uh, but at the end of the day, fish are native. They are a piece of our fauna, and they can increase the biodiversity um, of your pond. Particularly things that eat fish. They're only going to go to a pond if there's fish there. Um, what it comes down to is selecting the right species for your pond and, and largely the size of your pond. A very small pond is not going to be suitable. Uh, for yeah. fish. But if you've got, I, I kind of go by the bathtub analogy. So if you've got a pond that's bigger than a bathtub, you could probably have a few fish in there, but the big, the bigger, the better really. So uh, in my, my pond is um, yeah, about, maybe a little bit bigger than, than a bathtub. It's not huge, but it's big enough. And I have, nine spined sticklebacks which are the smallest freshwater fish in britain mm. so in fact the the newts and the dragonfly larvae eat them to a degree so oh, okay so they're not they're not kind of predating anything i've got loads of tadpoles and all that sort of stuff so they're, they're not really a problem um the mistake is people put three spine sticklebacks which are really aggressive and they'll eat everything so mm. you know if you're just a casual uh, you just see a stickleback you probably put any so uh, sticklebacks are amazing and the life cycle is phenomenal if you've got a spare pond this is a project your fifth pond uh, put stickleback, <laughs> put sticklebacks in because they're incredible to watch. But in, unless you've got a large weedy pond where things can get away from them, they just eat everything. So three yeah. spines aren't great. The one fish I would recommend everyone to consider is called a crucian, which are a um, what a crucian carp. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I, I get a vein there because everyone calls them crucian. They are a kind of a carp, I suppose. But yeah, um, and they're great in ponds. They're perfectly designed for still waters. They grow to the size of the environment roughly. So I've got uh, got two male crucians in my pond. I'm trying to source a female. And they're probably only about four inches long, but they can breed at that size because they're adults mm. have just stopped growing. They love weedy ponds. Um, all they do is feed on the bottom. Uh, they'll eat the odd grub and things, but they're not predatory. They're not chasing tadpoles. They don't chase dragonfly larvae. Um, and to be fair, I don't really see them very often. 
I just like yeah. to know they're there. If I go at night with a torch, as I'm sure you probably do as well, um, I'll see the crucians in the in the clear patch. I might put some some bits of food down. You don't need to feed them. This is another thing. If you've got a wildlife pond with fishing, just leave them to it. They'll they'll feed themselves. Um, but crucians are amazing. I, I would recommend them. They're fantastic and the beautiful buttery colour, uh, really mm. vivid golden colours on them. Uh, and if you've got a slightly larger pond, maybe the size of a double bed or more, you could think about something like gudgeon or tench. Um, but the, the key to having fish and wildlife in the same pond is all those hidey places. You've got yeah. to have thick weeds, you've got to have rocks. Because if it's out in the open, they're going to get eaten. But if you think about it, there are millions of ponds in the wild that have fish, dragonfly larvae, invertebrates. They all coexist. Um, it's just having that myriad of habitats. So um, it's maybe a little bit harder to have fish in there as well, but there's no reason you can't if you've got the right habitat and the, the right species. That's, that's my rant so, over. <laughs> no, that's, that's really interesting. Funny about the, uh, the cruiser. I, I was an angler back in the oh, day okay. with my dad. And uh, so we, you know, that was our, our kind of focus. And I think I might have mentioned about uh, the fisherman's handbooks, which was this Marshall Cavendish uh, uh, collection that you could buy every week. And it went through all of the species uh, in the UK. Now, of course, you've catalogued all the species, which is just such an amazing feat. But on the, on the cruise, we were fishing in the, uh, in the Trent one. So we, um, we caught, my dad caught this tiny cruise and we, it was so beautiful. We decided to bring it home. Now, probably shouldn't kind of admit that. that. Sorry, uh, did you say that was out the Trent, out the River Trent? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I live about a five minute walk from the River Trent. Okay, we'd often fish there, and Long Bennington was the place that we'd uh, do a lot of chub fishing, which was yes. our kind of favourite. Yeah, yeah, I know it. Place, which was just incredible. But uh, anyway, we we caught this uh, uh, this cruisian, and my dad brought it home, and he put it in his tropical fish tank that he had at the time, which not really sure why he did, but of course, what happened? It thrived and it grew so quickly, and it dug up all the plants and harassed everybody that. We, we did have to kind of set it free in the end, but uh, um, beautiful colours, for sure. They are. They're phenomenal, phenomenal fish. I mean, I, I had a similar story that I, I caught a very small tench out the Trent. Uh, it was a tiny little thing. And I thought, what well, you're not meant to be in a river. There are still water fish and it had scars down it. So I don't know if it had a run in with a pike or an otter or something. Um, and I thought, I'll bring you home. So no, I should just say, yeah, you're not really meant to bring things back. But <laughs> yeah. with it being a garden pond, it's a contained habitat. Um, nothing's going in or out really so the odd thing goes in uh, but yeah I, I see it every now and again and it's quite happy in my pond much happier than a fast-flowing river anyway yeah yeah it's interesting about uh, moving things around so my um, uh, my metal tank my kind of yeah my whatever we call it I'll, I'll post picture a bit later the um, that's full of tadpoles from my local pond which is now subsequently dried up um, and so I kind of took the view, you know, the rules are you shouldn't really move things around. But as children, we did this all the time. And lots of people will message me saying, look, the advice is don't, but what would you do? And it's like, well, difficult really for me to say I, I'm not the expert. But um, um, this tank now is absolutely thriving. And within it's, it's got uh, tadpoles and toe poles. And within three or four weeks, it's going to be quite a spectacle. Now I just took the view that it's worth it's worth doing that, and they'll they'll disperse into the wider area, and, 
and that's got to be helpful. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, the concern is more not necessarily that the frogs or the toads themselves, it's whether they carry a disease that maybe your frogs and toads don't have, or potentially yeah. any hitchhikers. Like, so my pond has a real problem with Isola, um, mm. and I've got another non native plant in there. And uh, to put it politely, they're a pain in the fucking ass. <laughs> because they have exploded into my pond and the only way I'm going to get rid of them is to drain the pond and dry it out, which I'm going to have to do at some point because they've taken mm. over and it's such a pain. So, um, you know, as long as you know what you're doing and you can look for no non-natives. Um, but yeah, the, the advice generally is, is, is don't. But I understand it, it, those, those frogs and tadpoles would have died if you hadn't saved them. And there's something in all of us that doesn't want to see yeah. die for no reason. I mean, it's nature mm. at the end of the day, I suppose, but... Um, I think, yeah, the, the softy and me probably would have done the same as well. <laughs> the, um, yeah. What, um, I did want to ask you, though, if I may, just this, the kind of putting nature onto social media. Yeah. Which is, you know, given that we're all in lockdown, or, you know, we're in this kind of lockdown phase, and it's a lovely way of kind of engaging with people. But I'm always curious by the different channels so i'm not you know as i've often said i'm not an expert and I've, i've i put more stuff onto twitter um but I've, I've dabbled with some of the other channels but the it, it's interesting how i find that twitter is much better for engagement um when i put things onto youtube which i think are absolutely amazing sometimes you'll get like one view or a really weird comment from somebody who's <laughs> ob obscure or a, or a bot um, so I, I was just wondering what, what your thoughts were on kind of the best channels to kind of engage like-minded people who are interested in nature. The YouTube comment section is an absolute sewer. It is so weird. <laughs> it is so weird. Is, like, I can't work out why people comment the things that they do on, on YouTube. It's a very strange subsect of, if you can call them humans, that, that use that. Um, so I've probably got my biggest following on Twitter as well. Um, so I would agree that that's, that's good for engagement. And I find that I'll, I'll even get work off Twitter as well, because if it's producers or magazine editors, it's they themselves who are using it as opposed to, um, if it's an email, anyone could be picking that up. So yeah, I would agree. Twitter's really good for engagement. Um, Facebook seems to do better for video views for some reason. Mm. I don't know why but I don't necessarily get as much engagement on there. And I think um, it may even be a generational thing, which is weird that even, I mean, I'm, my, I'm in my late twenties and I still use Facebook quite a bit, but I notice people who are in their early twenties and teens, they don't use Facebook nearly. It's all, yeah. in, all Instagram now for them. Whereas when I was their age, it was all about Facebook mm -hmm. or, or MySpace if you want to go even further back, but they, they don't use Facebook like I use it. And then there are people maybe 10 or so years older than me that use Facebook a hell of a lot. So it's almost an age thing, which sounds weird, um, but yeah. I, that's what I've noticed from, from Facebook. And I don't use it as, as much as I used to. I'm, I'm starting to use Instagram more. I really like Instagram um, just because it's a visual medium. So I would assume that you're, are you on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I am, but I, I just don't put much energy into it. And I just took the view that I probably spend far too much time down in and around the ponds and I spend far much time uh, editing and choosing the right kind of musical backdrop. Um, I, I've just taken the view that I just haven't got, <laughs> I haven't got the time and energy to, to, to do, uh, you know, other channels really. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, what I, what I tend to do is I do a lot of scheduling. Um, so it appears that I'm on social media all the time, 
but I'm, I'm not. It's just like on a Sunday night, I'll just do my post for the next week and a half or something like that. Um, mm. So I know what you mean, though. If, 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 if you're going to do it every day and you want kind of current news stuff, then it does take up a lot of time and it can absorb you a little bit. Um, mm. But yeah, mm. I, I, I would advise anyone, if you want to kind of build up your social media channels, just pick a quiet afternoon or, or when you've got an hour or two, pick seven or eight posts and just schedule them out. I think all, all social media platforms have the option to schedule or, or a plug-in to schedule. And it just mm. keeps your follow, followers interested and something trickling in. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's instant gratification, particularly with YouTube. People eat up content. They just constantly want new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. And if you don't provide it, then the, the viewership drops off for some reason. Mm -hmm. The, um, yeah, and it, yeah, I think that's uh, that's sound advice. I guess the the interesting from my perspective is that, you know, I don't do this as a kind of professional venture. I just do this as as genuine fun, um, and uh, it's funny in the professional day job, I will have kind of people who have stumbled across this and think, wow, what is that all about? And it's like, well, you know, um, I, I I've got used to being classified as a, as a proud herper now which is a, is a word that of course uh, is odd to people outside of this world and I do sometimes have to explain what it means and what I do um, yeah, you don't want people getting mixed up with herpes do you <laughs> <laughs> you certainly don't certainly don't no well look David it's been an absolute pleasure um, if, if people don't already follow you on Twitter then you've got to check him out some great clips of pond life it's at urban ponds 101 uh, thanks for joining me uh, it's an absolute pleasure and uh, you know lovely to be in I love watching your stuff and uh, let's keep doing it that was David Fielding I think it's absolutely incredible that in the capital city in a relatively small space, he's created this incredible mini wetland habitat. And you can tell that he's absolutely dedicated to his ponds and the wildlife in there. So keep that up. That's absolutely spectacular. Now, that brings me on to Nature Reserve of the Week. And I thought, well, I better try and find one with a few ponds in it. So I've chosen Idle Valley Nature Reserve, which is in North Nottinghamshire. And this is one I've been to many times. And it's a fantastic area of wetland. Now, it's located in North Nottinghamshire. It's over 450 hectares and is actually Nottinghamshire's largest wetland area. The river Idle runs along the western bank and it itself is an important habitat for many species, particularly fish with things like barbel, eels and chub. The wetland is made up of various old gravel pits and scrapes with dikes, ponds, pools all over the place making it a hotbed for freshwater species. Over 259 species of birds have been recorded on site, with barn owls, grebes and waders in the spring being a highlight. There's actually a, a barn owl box uh, where the car park is, and if you go there in the evening, you've got every chance of seeing the barn owl there. It's full of wildflowers, so it's a must for anyone who's interested in plants, and as a side effect of that, the invertebrates are particularly plentiful. It has loads of species of dragonflies and damselflies, uh, butterflies in the wildflowers and things like that. It's one of the best sites also in the East Midlands to see grass snakes and any of the small ponds there you've got a pretty decent chance of seeing these incredible serpents. Now there are no hides on the reserve but there are a few blinds so you can stand there and have a good look out over it. It's not really a reserve where you're going to get close to birds, it's not like they're wandering right up to you but it's a fantastic place to see birds from, from afar and you've got a good chance of seeing some rarities. So always take a pair of bins with you.
Now, parking is pretty good there. There's a large free car park, and this is all run by Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust. The visitor centre there is top-notch. There's toilets. There's a gift shop with all the usual gift shop waffle. Uh, there's a cafe. Cake's not too bad. Cake's okay there with all the refreshments, free water and things like that. Picnic area outside, a baby changing, disabled toilet. And in terms of if you want to get around the reserve and the mobility, uh, it's pretty good. It's not too bad, actually. You can walk around it with without too much trouble. So if you're in North Knots, why not check out Idle Valley? It's an amazing wetland area, whether it's the winter for the birds or whether it's the summer for the insects and, and the plants. It's well worth a visit. Anyway, this has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks. Hope you've enjoyed listening to it. Don't forget, check out Wildlife Exposed TV. That's where all the best bits are on there. And you can see that on YouTube of me waffling onto other people. I'll catch you next time. Cheers.